welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah. I've got my partner in crime, Darcy, with me this evening as usual. Say hi, Darcy. Hey, what's up? <laughs> that sounded so cash. <laughs> so cool. I'm so fucking cash. jazzed about this, this episode. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting stuff that we need to cover off on this. We are actually... Um, are you drinking tonight? What do you got for? Oh yeah, I'm drinking. I am drinking some delicious bullet bourbon on the rocks. You can hear her ice out chips of my or ice cubes um, chinking out of my my whiskey peaks glass. I'm drinking tonight out of Denali. These are the coolest glasses. They are. They're awesome. I have yeah. busted out a half a bottle of prosecco because I have Ooh. these super big wine glasses that can literally fit an entire bottle of wine into nice. one glass. So I temper myself and I just have like a, a small amount, but nonetheless. But I you're sticking put... to a two glass minimum. No. Or <laughs> a maximum. Trying to have a little <laughs> bit of self-control tonight and I'm trying, eh. but I mean, who fucking knows if that'll actually happen or not. Right. So there's actually an issue that has come up with some of our fellow podcasters within the last week or two. And I think it's kind of been an an ongoing long-term issue with respect to social media, media, writers, bloggers, news, functional shows. And that is the issue of plagiarism. So it's something that we... In my particular field, I've been a writer for probably 20 years, and it's something Mm -hmm. that we always were taught to cite your sources, if at all possible, and if you don't, then try to give the website that it was on, and just try to do as much as you can to credit the source of your information Mm -hmm. whenever possible. So in this instance, on our show, we typically list all of our sources in our show notes, and then we try to, if we use a news media article, we try to also list the author. I know that Darcy is a lot better about that than me in many instances. I typically use a lot of Wikipedia and a lot of Murderpedia, and I do put my sources in in the show notes. But what do you think about this controversy that's going on lately with this issue, Darcy? Well, in kind of the same vein, so I am a PhD student, and when you go to college, like literally your first day of college, you get a syllabus and it talks about plagiarism, and plagiarism is... Claiming somebody's work is your own, right? And without properly um, giving credit to the person who actually did the work. And apparently what's happening is Wikipedia now is open source. They And Wikipedia does provide citations. So what I like to do, I love reading Wikipedia. Like, it's my nighttime reading. I read it all the time. What I like to do for this show, though, is if I'm pulling something from Wikipedia, I like to read it on Wikipedia and then go to the actual sources of the articles where that information came from. And then I actually like to use those as my source information because there's sometimes there's information on there that doesn't make it onto the Wikipedia site for whatever reason, right? But but that also makes sure that you are, first of all, verifying what you're reading on Wikipedia, which is just a good idea anyway. Um, and, and second of all, you are actually giving credit to the person who did go out and do the interviews and did the hard work that you are now just retelling that story. So right. there's a couple things like with scientific writing or just writing in general, which you probably also know that, you know, you, you have to rephrase the information that you're getting unless you're specifically saying I'm quoting directly from this source but even if you rephrase that information that's not information either that is like common use knowledge or information that you got yourself so you still have to say where you got that information from right and and I understand like in podcasting it's a very informal medium 
But when you have people who are actually earning money off of podcast episodes, either through Patreon or sponsorships or whatever, and you have them passing off information as they're, as if they were the ones that did the actual work without crediting the people who actually did that hard work, that's when you run into a problem. And my understanding is legal problems, too, not yeah. just moral problems. Right. You can be sued for copyright infringement in that particular mm-hmm. instance. This is an interesting issue to me because... Like you were saying, I mean, this is such a, a medium that sort of speaks to using a lot of sources off the Internet to figure it out. This is not like typical news source type of a thing where most podcasters do not go interview the people. Most do not do significant, heavy and hardcore research on the topics that they are talking about. Mm-hmm. Most of us go on, we do a Google search or a Yahoo search or whatever, find what we want to talk about and then read a couple articles on it and chat about it. I don't think that that is necessarily the issue here. I think that the issue is with people that are taking articles and heavy research done by somebody else, quoting large portions of that research and sort of not crediting the person that did the research initially. Because it's my understanding from reading some of the articles and reading some of the information from the people who are mad that their information is being plagiarized, that they're not mad that their information was used. They're just mad that they weren't credited for all the hard work that they did initially. Right. And it, and this isn't an issue of it's my work. I deserve all the credit for it. It's an issue of you are making money off of work you did not do. Right. And you're stealing my property right in a way and the thing you know, is and that's and and in in some of these cases it's i mean it's not even just quote like take pulling quotes or tidbits of information it's like word for word copied from articles and from like investigation tv shows just right investigation discovery tv shows and things like that and i get it if you're taking some information from maybe an older topic or something that's not really available anymore but i it's my understanding that the topic that was chosen for a couple that were most highly plagiarized were with people that are currently still around and that are more than happy to provide interviews to people that want to do research about their missing children or the murder of a family member exactly so there was sort of an outrage because you know how dare you take this first of all and second of all you could have done easily done your own research for the same thing and been just as same but you chose to take ours and take credit for it and make money off of it and and make your listeners believe that you were the one that actually went out and did all of that groundwork when you were not and by no means are we trying to belittle or um, make fun of or um step on other podcasts because I feel like there's so many awesome podcasts out there right now that are just doing just such a great job in the medium. Mm -hmm. But we just kind of wanted to speak to this issue and let our listeners know that we are dedicated and we feel like it's really, really important to not take other people's information without crediting those sources. And if we have done so in the past, it by no means was intentional. And I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that it was not you know, intentional or non-intentional by the people that actually did this. But we are going to try our hardest to really kind of redouble our efforts with respect to citing our sources just to make sure that the people that created all this awesome information are truly getting credit for that. Right. And, and you know, we have been trying to do our best to provide that proper credit and provide the source material. Um, but, 
you know, we encourage you guys to reach out if you think that there's something that we could be doing better in that regard, because we certainly don't want to make anybody think that we're actually the ones going out there. We're not investigative journalists. We're, we're telling somebody else's story, you know, and we're trying to tell it in this perspective of you have a law degree, I'm a PhD student. So we have different ways to discuss this, but we're, we didn't go out and get this information, you know? No, we didn't pound the pavement. We didn't call a bunch of people. We probably could if we wanted to, (laughs) but we have normal jobs and Darcy is a PhD student. So it's not like there's a ton of time that we're sitting around, not to mention the fact that we're really at this point, not making money off the podcast. So we're not profiting per se off anybody's information, but I don't necessarily certainly think that's the point. I think it's giving credit where credit is due for the people that are doing a lot of hard work. Exactly. So, enough, enough said on that topic. I think we have nailed it. Um, and sort of, we wanted to provide that level of comfort to our listeners that we are dedicated and we feel like that's really important. Yeah. So the next topic that I want to cover off on, and this is kind of a controversial little side topic, but this one I got from an article pulled from the Associated Press. There is no author's name listed on the article, but you can find it on Yahoo. The article is called Beer Name for Pacific Island Nuke Test Site Draws Criticism. So essentially a Texas-based company is facing criticism for naming a beer after the location of nuclear tests that resulted in contamination of the Pacific Island chain. So Darcy knows a little bit about this. Why did I have a feeling this was going to be from like somewhere like Texas? Essentially, this beer company is called the Manhattan Project Beer Company, and they are under scrutiny by the Marshall Islanders who were exposed to high levels of radiation during research from 46 to 58. The government and residents of the Republic of the Marshall Islands have objected to the company's beer named Bikini Atoll. It is currently known by many of us, and if you didn't know, this particular island chain is still uninhabitable because of the levels of radiation, but people are kind of pissed off that they would kind of take this as a name for a beer. The company actually has multiple nuclear-themed beers, including Half-Life, Plutonium-239, Particles Collide, and 10 nanoseconds. So they are essentially... They're What's essentially the deal? Why why are they so obsessed I with I don't know, but the name of their weapons. beer company is the Manhattan Project Beer Company. So clearly it's sort of a theme for them, but people are up in arms because they feel like this mocks or trivializes the nature of what actually happened in the Marshall Islands. And now the beer company is saying they've received harassment and death threats because of this beer. I think that we in America have, especially um, like our generation, right? We have a desensitization to nuclear weapons. We we didn't grow up doing the drills where we get under our desks. You didn't have to have a nuclear bomb shelter. Nuclear fallout wasn't something we heard about and read about every single day. Right. It was something we learned about in history class. And I I think that that leads to like a crassness of the damage that these weapons cause and and it's it's not something that I mean it's just incredibly insensitive. I completely agree with this. This is just it's just incredibly insensitive to 
make a it's almost like making a joke making out of light it, of it. making light well a representative from the island wrote a letter to the company saying that they are they don't appreciate how it's being made light of the suffering caused by nuclear testing the bottom line they said is that your product makes fun of a horrific situation here in the marshall islands a situation that i promise you is still ongoing to make money for your company this is unacceptable to us so according to what i know about this it's there's a lot of radiation still in that spot. This is a very sensitive topic. People were removed from that area after testing was begun or before testing was begun and still to this day have not been allowed to go back, even though they were told by the government that they would be able to return in a short period of time. Right. So they, it, um, I'm looking at it right now on, on Wikipedia and they relocated the, the residents. So, so the, the testing in the Marshall Islands occurred after World War II. So now we're no longer um, testing just nuclear weapons. We are testing hydrogen bombs and, as well. And hydrogen bombs are significantly larger and more destructive than, uh, than the, the nuclear bombs that we dropped at, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So in 1950, 1946, excuse me, it looks like is when, when we decided we were going to start testing in the Marshall Islands, which of one of these is, is Bikini Atoll. And they did r- remove or evacuate the residents, but they told them it would be temporary, that they would get to go back home. And that was in 1946, and the truth of the matter is they still can't go back home. They, they, they did try at one point to relocate them back to Bikini Atoll, but they had to evacuate them again because they had inadequate food supplies. There was a lack of a clean water source. And basically we had to do like an air support of food and water and things like that to support this population. And they just wanted to live at their home. Yeah. So, so they, they did send them back. It looks like in 1972, but then 10 years later, scientists performed additional radiation tests and they found that that there were still too, it was still too radioactive. You had women have suffering miscarriages, stillbirths, genetic abnormalities. Who knows when it'll be inhabitable again, you know? It's a super sad situation. I think the bottom line here is like, if you're a beer company, um, there's like literally millions of ideas about what you can name your stuff. Do you really yeah. have to name it after something that a portion of the population finds deeply offensive? And not, I mean, this is kind of nitpicky, but the Manhattan Project had nothing to do with the state of Texas. Right. I mean, it had Chicago, Knoxville, Los Alamos, California, Berkeley. No, I'm all for awesome beer. I'm all for naming it cool and unique names and making really good beer and doing the craft beer thing. But like, let's use a little bit of common sense when it comes to stuff like this. Right. Just think. You know, somebody can find what I'm saying offensive is, I mean, I think some people feel like that portion of the population is gone now. They've passed away, but there are a lot of people that remember that with very heavy hearts. Right. And if you, I mean, if you just go to a World War II museum, there's a really good World War II museum in New Orleans, and they have a whole exhibit on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and I mean, every when I went, everybody in that section was crying. Like, it's just incredibly powerful, and I would encourage you guys to, to you know, do some research and learn about it. And hopefully we can kind of move away from this insensitivity of things like that. Just be that. respectful. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the only thing that's, like, an issue. But in any case, 
Um, we have some other stuff to talk about. I think we should move on to the next topic, which, surprise, surprise, has been huge in the news lately, and that is Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Very, very interesting. This gentleman was an American financier and convicted sex offender. He essentially began his career as an investment banker for Bear Stearns before forming his own firm, and it grew really quickly. So he became a multimillionaire and was well-connected in very affluent cultural circles. there's not a lot of information on how he got his money. No. Essentially... He claims, you know, I just was very successful investment banker and I invested well and that's how I got these multi-millions of dollars, which I think as this case continues to progress forward, we're going to begin to see more and more interesting details of this. But essentially in April 2005, police in Palm Beach, Florida, I'm getting all this information from Wikipedia, uh, began investigating Epstein after a parent complained that he had molested her 14-year-old daughter. So... At that point, an investigation went underway, and he pleaded guilty and was convicted of soliciting a prostitute and of procuring an underage girl for prostitution. And this was in June Which is crazy. Of that should not be called prostitution. So he essentially served three, 13 months in custody with work release as part of the plea deal. But federal officials identified 36 girls, some as young as 14 years old, who he had molested— so he served bare minimum of a year in jail for molesting mm-hmm. and basically just defiling 36 girls as young mm-hmm. as 14 years old. He was arrested the second time, July 6, 2009, on federal charges for sex trafficking of minors in Florida and New York. This particular gentleman <laughs> just killed me. Once again, me. Sarah plays fast and loose with the, with the word gentleman. <laughs> he essentially just was a freaking perv. Yeah. Like, he probably molested and raped and defiled hundreds of young girls. Yeah, this was literally his life's joy, was abusing young girls. He was born in 1953 in New York City to Jewish parents in Brooklyn. He essentially attended local public schools and then attended the National Music Camp, where he was discovered to be a very talented musician when he learned to play the piano at the age of five. He graduated high school at the age of 16, having skipped two grades and later attended college classes. And then he attended more schooling in 71 at the Courant Institute of Mathematical Sciences, but left without receiving a a degree in 74. Then at that point, he started working as a teacher, even though he has no degree. In 74, he started working as a teacher of physics and mathematics at a very prestigious school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. This is interesting. Um, I think he had some sort of a connection with the headmaster of that school, Donald yeah, Barr. Yeah, I've read that too. And then he was dismissed in June of 76. While attending, or excuse me, while teaching at that school, he became acquainted with Alan Greenberg, the chief executive officer of Bear Stearns, whose son and daughter were going to the school. At that point, a connection was made, and Epstein showed them how intelligent and driven he was, and they offered him a job at Bear Stearns. That's crazy. That does not happen. Right? That's not how you get hired at Bear Stearns. 
In 76 is when he first joined that company as a low-level junior assistant and swiftly moved his way up the chain of command and departed abruptly in 2008 when sort of the financial collapse started happening. And there were questions about, he says that he left voluntarily. Other things have said that he was allowed to leave after like some kind of illegal something or other money thing that I don't know. All I know is he's got multi millions of dollars and it seems very fishy that he would have that much money. He came from an average sort of a family and to all of a sudden have millions and millions of dollars and his own island where he would take these, some of these girls and fancy homes all over the world in the Virgin islands and so forth just seems very, very suspicious to me. And our current attorney general, William Barr, was in the law firm that represented him in the original federal trial that got that very light sentence. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he supposedly has connections to... Prince Andrew, Clinton, Trump. Oh, there's evidence of connections to, like, yeah, Prince Andrews, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump. George um, Alan Dershowitz, Katie Couric, Woody Allen... Rupert Bill Murdoch, Richardson, the governor of New, New Mexico, Michael I mean, Jackson, Alec Baldwin, Kennedys, Rockefellers, and Rothschilds. I mean, this guy had some connections. There's some like speculation that that he got his money because he has incriminating evidence of a lot of these people with young girls abusing young girls and. That he's basically extorted them all this time, and then that's why you get into the whole conspiracy about how he died. So let's talk about that. So evidently, at the time of his death, he had millions stored in offshore offshore Swiss bank accounts. But in any case, this guy is freaking loaded, supposedly worth, you know, 15 to 20 million at least in homes and real estate and Swiss bank accounts. Oh, I've heard 560 million. So essentially he was arrested in July of this year. And accused of doing the same thing. Surprise, surprise. I honestly... And, do, and trafficking, too, was one of the, the I honestly charges. don't think these guys change. And clearly the, the prison system is not designed to have any sort of recidivative effect on these guys. There's no... I, I don't even think he went through counseling. Well, it, that never seemed to have been... Like, a qualification of his light sentence. It just seems like they were like, hey, what if you didn't do this anymore? And he's like, totally, 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 I'm not going to do that. You know what's crazy is they said that he was also interested in eugenics and transhumanism. And began in the early 2000s showing a strong interest in improving the human race through genetic engineering and artificial intelligence using his own sperm. Now, what is transhumanism? He addressed the scientific community at various events and occasions with communication on his fascination with eugenics. It was reported that Epstein in August of 2019 had planned to seed the human race with his DNA by impregnating up to 20 women at a time using his New Mexico compound as a baby ranch where mothers would give birth to his offspring. He was an advocate of cryogenics and his own idiosyncratic version of the tra- of transhumanism, which said that he intended to have his penis and head frozen. What? When you're that wealthy, you, at a later phase. Like, it's like almost a requirement that you're fucking crazy like not like in addition to this horrible criminal pedophile that he was like that's looney tunes i uh, i find him just repulsive 
on many, many, many levels. And he said to have like practiced a little bit of philanthropy, but like, does that really make up for the shit that you've done? Well, he's said that, but they haven't found that much evidence of like, there's not actual receipts of his supposed generous donations. He sure knew how to shake hands with some fucking big ass people. So you think that's because he had information on procuring young girls and boys or whatever for these people? That's not my opinion. That is um, one of the the conspiracies that's going around because it's such a weird, it's a black hole in terms of how he got his money. I mean, he didn't have a college degree and he's teaching at this prestigious school. Then all of a sudden he impresses somebody to get a, a job at Bear Stearns, which he leaves under suspicious circumstances. And then... He claims he's like a what a consultant or something for, and he only has billionaires as clients. Like it's just, it's I don't know. It's it's not. It doesn't add up. But I don't know how he got his money. But it's just like there's not enough information. I'm sort of reminded of the case of that that Michigan case, where the gentleman had. Well, I use that term again. Where the, the <laughs> dude had purchased that island and sort of made a boys' camp and used yeah, it as the sort Oakland of a county child killer. Holy shit. That's kind of what this reminds me of. I feel like he used that's his a, position. That's a mess. And people pretty much catered to this guy and enabled mm-hmm. him to do shitty things to young girls and possibly even mm-hmm. young boys. We don't know. If somebody came to him and offered him money to procure illegal things for them, I think he seems like the kind of dude that would help somebody procure an And underage he also girl. had that friend, girlfriend, whoever who supposedly was working as his madam for all of those years, too. And there's supposedly evidence, and, I mean, I know that there's testimony that she also was abusing these girls. Ugh. Absolutely repulsive. It's my understanding that she went into bars and restaurants and places of that nature and found pretty young girls. These were not necessarily underage girls in this particular instance that I was reading about, but there were a couple of accounts of young women that are now suing his estate claiming that he had abused them and, and and so forth. But in any case, he found these young girls as waitresses and hostesses in restaurants, and then she would ha- convince them to come back to his whatever mm-hmm. residence he was staying at, whether it be a hotel or his own home, and say, he, he just wants a massage. Mm-hmm. So if you come, we'll give you a couple hundred bucks. You give him a massage. He's not going to touch you. Everything's going to be fine. We'll give you a couple hundred bucks. You'll be on your way. But that is not what happened. These young women went into this home of this gentleman, and he just either drugged them or grabbed them, groped, molested, sexually assaulted, everything of that nature of these poor girls who just thought they were going to make a few hundred dollars massaging. I know that there are also stories about them doing the same thing at, like, malls in Palm Beach. And I know one of the girls has said... One of the girls suing now his estate has said that she was working at Mar-a-Lago when she was 14, and this woman, um, I think her name's Ghislaine, but there's an S in there, but anyways, um, that she asked her to come give Jeffrey Epstein a massage at his mansion, and that is what started her, basically sex slavery is what she has called it. Ugh. I don't know why, but I find this, like, so repulsive that people with affluence and money can, like, just take these young girls and and use and try to do whatever they want with them. 
And I find it even more repulsive that these guys who are like in their 40s, 50s, 60s and older are like so into procuring young girls. Mm hmm. It's just, it's disgusting to me. And the problem is there's a statute of limitations on many of these cases. So if they don't prosecute these cases in less than 10 years, a lot of them will get dismissed because the statute of limitation runs out. But the thing is, like, the, the abuse and the trauma from a situation like that doesn't end after five to 10 years. These women yeah. live with that shit for the rest of their lives. And, and I do think that, particularly in his case and also in R. Kelly's case, um, they were trafficking these girls in between like between state lines so i don't know if there's a statute of limitations on like a federal but um but yeah i mean either way it's anyway so it's disgusting and it just brings it to a whole new level of these men who and you know granted there could be women involved in this too there's a lot of speculation and a lot of um, information going back and forth about this woman that was assisting Jeffrey Epstein obtain mm -hmm. young girls about her doing her own abuse to these young people but I think the vast majority of these cases tend to be older men in their 30s 40s and 50s who are doing significant amount of damage and procuring a lot of young girls and I just don't understand what that compulsion is is it curable is it fixable or do we just need to castrate these guys well it's funny you bring that up so Alabama the state of Alabama has actually passed a law this year um, mandating chemical castration for people who are convicted of sexual assault of a minor above the age of seven. And the reason that it's above the age of seven is there is no parole for the victims that are below the age of seven. But the law is as a mandate of earning parole, you have to undergo chemical castration. And my understanding is there's no 100% effective method to cure pedophilia and pedophilic urges. But if there is one that is more effective than others, it is chemical castration. Physical castration is not effective at all because you still produce the so hormones. So we can't just cut their dicks off. <laughs> but chemical castration actually prevents you from producing testosterone and things like that. The problem is, and the reason this law might not end up being constitutional, is you can't just do it once. You have to maintain... You have to, It's essentially a therapy that you have to go and get repeatedly. And... Okay, so just so the listeners know, it's not just one little shot. It's not like a vasectomy. No. It's no. it's a medication that you have to take for the rest of your life. Yes. FYI. And that's my understanding of it. And short of having somebody right with them, how are you going to ensure that this person takes it for the rest of their lives? Right. And so, and that's part of the parole is that they would have to have like mandatory check-ins and have this, this therapy. Administered in front of somebody exactly, else. Exactly. Which is basically forced medication, yeah. which is not legal. So that's, that might be why this law doesn't actually ever go into effect, but they are, that is what Alabama has attempted to do. There's some speculation as well, though, that there are some significant health risks to being on that medication for the rest of your life as well. I'm sure so there you're are. essentially signing yourself up for a much increased cancer risk uh, and a lot of other factors that could potentially be um, a risk when you're taking that medication long term. Right. So you're essentially asking them to sign up for something that's not really conclusively studied long term. Yeah, I don't know what the research says about this therapy long term. And I, I mean, it it's not like the lawmakers in Alabama do either because, you know. 
Well, what do you think? What's your personal opinion? Do you think that that is an acceptable alternative to set these guys loose in society with chemical castration? Do you think that they need to spend the rest of their lives in prison? Like, what do you think is the the solution? I here? think there are people that actually do express remorse and don't want to act on these urges. And I think that if that's an option, voluntary chemical castration should be allowed. But I don't think mandatory chemical castration does anything. And I definitely don't think that the government should should make you do anything like that. If that's if if you're a risk of hurting somebody, especially children, you should be separated and removed from society, my opinion, just across the board. Yeah. So prison for the rest yes. of your lives. Prison. I just don't see that there are any significant number of studies anywhere that show that those sort of people can be rehabilitated in any way, shape or form. I've not seen anything that ever that says there's a cure at all. So anyway, Epstein was put back into prison and there was ample, ample, ample evidence uh, put forth that he has been doing the same thing that he had always done. Oh, surprise, surprise. Spoiler alert. Right. I'm shocked. (laughs) So... Talk to us a little bit about what has happened in the last couple of days, because it is shocking on some level. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are like, oh, he hung himself. Good riddance, first of all. And second of all, Mm -hmm. when you are a convicted child abuser, child molester, somebody who abuses children or women, you are one of the you have a huge target on your back when you go into the prison system. And for that reason, a lot of times they will separate those individuals from the general prison population and they will put them on suicide watch because mm-hmm. those particular individuals are at a higher rate for being known to commit suicide. So Jeffrey Epstein was put on suicide watch and then removed, I believe, a day, perhaps two days before he actually committed suicide. Why don't you cover off on some of the information that is now out there about this incident? Yeah, so back in July, he supposedly had attempted suicide in his jail cell. Um, And when that came out, I think the reaction was a mix between, oh, I'm not surprised that he did this. And, oh, I bet this was him just trying to get in better jail conditions. That's what I thought. I was like, there's no way. This guy's too much of a... I thought this was like... It was a suicide attempt, but it wasn't... um, like, um, like a quote unquote real attempt. I think he wanted to portray that he was trying to commit suicide in order to go to be switched to a different jail under better conditions or something. Okay. So he felt like he was in a position where the jail that he was in was not fairly treating him or he was being abused or the guards were bad to him or something I mean, like yeah, that. or whatever. I mean, it's just maybe just not be a nice jail. He's a millionaire. Maybe he thinks that he deserves better treatment, right? So, <laughs> right. He's like, oh, I need that deluxe expensive prison with the 5,000 thread count sheets and the champagne bottles in the refrigerator. I mean, in that's the cell. basically what he got last time. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I was under the impression that that's what this was, that that was the nature of the original suicide attempt in July. Right. So the other day I wake up and I'm checking the news as I do. And I see an alert that says Jeffrey Epstein has died in jail and initially suspected to be um, a suicide, a hanging suicide. And so I thought, oh, shit, he actually did it. Okay. And then 
Everybody starts talking about Qui Bono. Who benefits? Like, who benefits from having him killed? He's got all of this information on all of these people. This is also like two days after the information about the link between um, Bill Richardson, the New Mexico governor, came out, um, Prince Andrew, all that stuff. That had all just come out in court documents like the Friday before, right? Oh, geez. So everybody's like, okay, well, who had him killed? You know, was it the Clintons? Because there's a whole contingency of people that think the Clintons are just out murdering people. Um, Donald Trump is one of those people. Right? Uh, What is that? Holy shit. I have never seen so much stuff that just think the Clintons are like these masterminds of murder and mayhem and behind the scenes and everything. There was, um, in like 94... There was a lawyer who worked for the White House when Bill Clinton was president who committed suicide. And that's pretty much the start of them thinking that the Clintons are capable of murdering people and getting away with it. It was the FBI investigated it. It was ruled a suicide. You can look it up as Vince Foster. Anyway. So either they're fucking brilliant criminal geniuses or this is just a bunch of bunk. (laughs) That's one of the two options. There are no in between. Exactly. It's a bunch of bunk because, I mean, like... How crazy is it that if, if if the Clintons could just murder people at will and get away with it, don't you think Hillary Clinton would be our goddamn president by now? <laughs> Seriously. That's funny. This fucking hellhole that we're living in, and but yet they supposedly can get away with all kind of murder. These so days. back anyway, to this case, though, so, he the news headlines were screaming that he had committed suicide and everyone was freaked out thinking yes. somebody else was behind this. And then you have the Internet. Talking about, there's no way, how could he, he was just on suicide watch. How could he, this this high-profile prisoner, be allowed to commit suicide? There's no way. Somebody else was in on it. Somebody, they paid somebody to go kill him. They paid somebody to look the other way while another inmate killed him. I mean, what is your What is stuff, your take on right? this? What is your opinion? What do you think happened? I have no doubt he committed suicide. So... My my thing is that this particular prison system and many, many, many other prison systems have been shown and proven in official court documents to be behind a lot of irregularities and a lot of shady shit. And by shady shit, I mean they say that they're checking on the patients every 30 minutes for a suicide mm-hmm. watch, and they're really not. They're signing off. They're not checking on the person. They commit suicide. They haven't been looked at in six hours. Which is common in the prison system in America. It's horribly understaffed. Every right. single place. Every single jail in prison. And I just don't think they take the suicide watch thing that seriously. And I think that a lot of mm-hmm. these particular individuals that are involved in this are basically of the mindset that, hey, good riddance, you want to do that shit to yourself, save the world you know, millions of dollars in taxpayer money and kill yourself. Right. And this came out that, you know, he died of hanging. And I initially thought partial hanging, right? Which is is what we talked about during the um, Spreckles Mansion, Rebecca's a Howe case. So there's a partial hanging where part of your body is on the ground. So there's essentially still some weight support on the ground. Or there's a full hanging where there's no weight support at all. And... In a jail cell, there's not that many things that are high enough to where you could completely suspend your body. Yeah. So that's I tough. assumed partial hanging. That is the case in most, you know, jail suicides. But and then I have a feeling there's a big but in this one. Was it yesterday or two days ago? I think it was two days ago. I originally texted you about this. The Washington Post was the first to release this that that the coroner or medical examiner, whichever they have in New York, had found that he had numerous cervical fr- uh, fractures, and he had a fractured hyoid bone. So tell the listeners what that typically means. 
if you have ever watched Investigation Discovery or listened to a true crime podcast, as soon as you hear he had a broken hyoid bone, what's the first thing you think of? That somebody strangled him. Somebody strangled him. Because typically that's the force on crushing that. Yeah. So the hyoid bone is a, is a bone that is in the front of your neck. It's in front of your trachea, your windpipe. And it is not attached directly to any other bone in your body. So it's, it's just kind of suspended there in your neck, in the front of your neck, um, with like tendons and ligaments and shit, right? Right. And because of where it sits, if somebody manually strangles you, either with their hands, a garrot, what have you, it... What, t- wait, tell the listeners what a garrot is. So, like, a garrot is, like, um, when you use, like, a stick and tie a rope to it, and, you like, you twist the stick as, like, a lever to, like, tighten the rope around somebody's neck. Um, that's what, what's his ass, John Wayne Gacy used. Yeah. A handmade tool to help strangulation Exactly. Um, it, it basically increases your leverage. So, when you have a fracture... Because it's hard to strangle somebody. It's really... It's hard. I, it's... Everybody who's done it has said it's a lot harder than they thought. So so it, you're more likely to fracture it when somebody is, when you have that force being placed on the front of your neck, as you would in a manual strangulation or something like that, right? Right. It's not that common in a hanging, and it's very, very uncommon in a partial hanging. I actually looked up a couple articles, and I only found two or three review articles of autopsies where they actually were able even to find a fractured hyoid in a partial hanging at all. It, it's pretty rare. And the reason for that is because it takes a certain amount of force to fracture that hyode bone. And if you Correct. are doing a partial strangulation within a prison cell, you're not typically going to have the kind of force involved that it would take to fracture that bone. So Exactly. Anyways. And so that came out and everybody's like, I knew it. I fucking knew it. I knew he was murdered. And then you have TMZ that comes out and because, you know, they pay people on the inside, so, like, they get all of the information before, like, a reputable news source does. Right. They reported that he had petechial hemorrhaging, which is, like, when you the blood vessels burst in your eyes, which also happens when you strangle somebody. But not when you hang them. Not when you hang yourself? I thought it, I thought it happened when you hang yourself, too. It can happen when you hang yourself, because it's essentially just restricting the blood flow to, from your neck up, right? So right. So, you can, you can have that, but... When you hang yourself, the method of hanging, of, of death and hanging isn't asphyxiation as often. It's usually like, especially in, in a complete hanging, it's more like a, like a fractured neck, which then severs your spinal cord. Okay. So, so I read that and I was like, oh, interesting. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, I'm working under the assumption that this was a partial hanging. Nowhere has ever said that it was a partial hanging. No one's ever said anything about that. It's just he was he hung himself or he was hanged in his jail cell, and now he has a fractured hyoid bone and and cervical spine um, injuries, and he had petechial hemorrhaging. And then I started thinking, if he dropped from a significant height or threw himself off of a height, he could have broken his neck that way, and TMZ also has that they believe that he threw himself off of the top bunk of his bed. And I think that is incredibly accurate to have these type of injuries for your cervical spine and your hyoid bone. Because to me, that says he wasn't trying to asphyxiate himself. He was trying to break his neck. And that's how he wanted to die. Because he knew that would be a quicker, more effective way to do it. Right. That's what I think. And I think now if he did throw himself off of the top bunk 
he still would have landed in a way to where his feet or something would have been on the ground to kind of make it initially look like a partial hanging. But then you would have right. that damage in the throat of the soft tissues and the bone that would show you that there was a significantly larger amount of force applied to his neck. So, but then the the official autopsy report came out today and they are saying conclusively, mm-hmm. without a doubt, this dude hung himself. There is no other explanation yes. for this guy's death. So the chief medical examiner in New York City has officially ruled suicide by hanging. Let's see if there's any more. This is from CNN. Let's see. They did, I did um, read that his attorneys were bringing in, what is it, Michael Bodden, I think they were bringing in, one of the famous pathologists. Um, I haven't heard anything more other than they were bringing him in, so I don't know if he's going to come out and say anything. Washington Post reported Wednesday that the autopsy showed Epstein sustained multiple breaks in his neck bones, like we talked about. And I think that this was a case of they, they, the guards went around and signed the papers saying that they went and checked the jail cell every 30 minutes like they were supposed to. But it's now been, been reported by the New York Times that two prison staff members failed to check on him for at least two to three hours. And those two have both been uh, placed on administrative So plenty leave. of time for this guy to kill himself. Absolutely, especially if he died from the broken neck and not from asphyxiation, because that would be immediate. It wouldn't be or plenty of time for somebody else to slip in there and kill him by putting a putting a noose over I his mean, neck and that. Just saying, if we're gonna throw, if we're gonna go down that road, yes, there would be two to three hours would be plenty of time for somebody else to come in and make it look like he did it. Manually strangle him put a sheet around his neck, and throw his body off the top bunk of a bed. So, just saying. <laughs> either way, it could be a thing. I'm just saying, uh, I'm not ruling it out, you're not ruling it out, but the medical examiner is ruling it out. So, what's our feeling on this? Also, I'm ruling Do it out. Do we feel like this should just <laughs> shut, What should we just shut the case on this and call it a day? Should we continue to investigate? Obviously, there are multiple lawsuits in place at the present time against his estate. Civil lawsuits. Yeah, and I think those should go forward, and I think there should be criminal charges brought against at least this um, Ghislaine Maxwell. And if there's evidence, which it seems like there might be evidence against other people, it seems I mean, there should be criminal charges against anybody and everyone that is involved in this because it's disgusting, it's awful, and this could potentially shine a light on a lot of people who don't want to be exposed. If it's as big as people say it is. Which is why people thought, you know, he was murdered. But, uh, no, I think he committed suicide because he was never going to get out of prison. He was going to be convicted. There was no, there, there was no buying his he way He was going to be somebody's little bitch for the rest of his days. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting case. I don't mm-hmm. think it's closed at this point. I think that there is a lot still to come. And I do think that there could be some more facts and interesting evidence that could come forward in this Jeffrey Epstein case. Mm-hmm. We will keep the listeners posted as soon as we hear new details, but we felt like it was really important to kind of draw these things forward right now because it is so much in the news at, at present. Yeah, and I would talk about cervical spine injuries all day, every day if I could. I fucking love it. And I don't have to worry about feeling any kind of compassion toward this person because he was a monster. And he shouldn't have been able yeah. to die and get out of the criminal charges, but I'm not upset that he's gone. 
he got away with a lot of shit during the course of his 60 some odd years and did a lot of damage to a lot of people. And it's really kind Mm -hmm. of appalling how much he was allowed to get away with because he had money and affluent friends. Which just goes to show our our justice system is so fucking skewed. And I get it. We're trying to do better. We're trying to make changes. We're trying to hold people accountable. But damn, the amount of damage this one single man was allowed to do just because he had money is disgusting. And the ripple effects of it. Seriously. Mm-hmm. So in any case, we will provide updates on this one as they come in. The next case that I want to talk about, and this is also getting into kind of a doozy of a topic um, that has been huge in the media um, over the last 10 years or so. But it's essentially an article that I found from The Independent. It was released in August of 2019, and it's titled, A Priest Who Appeared in the Exorcist is Accused of Grooming and Sexually <gasps> Abusing Student at a, saw this. A, Je- a Jesuit School. Uh, this is crazy to me. This Okay, so here's the article. A priest who appeared in The Exorcist has been accused of allegedly grooming and sexually abusing a student at the Jesuit high school where he taught. William O'Malley, who plays Father Dyer in the 1973 horror film, is one of several people named in a lawsuit filed as part of the Child Victims Act, which enables New Yorkers who are allegedly abused as children to file civil cases with no time or age limit for one year. According to court papers obtained by the Independent, O'Malley allegedly used his position as a priest to groom and sexually abuse a student at McQuaid Jesuit High School. The plaintiff, who has until this point remained anonymous, was approximately 17 years old when the alleged abuse occurred. He also alleges that O'Malley, now 87, sexually abused the student multiple times from approximately 1985 to 86. Both the diocese of the high school and this gentleman, are, the, the priest, are both named among defendants in the lawsuit. This is, again, more of the same shit. What I find interesting mm. about this is typically I think this would have expired under the statute of limitations because this occurred in the 80s. But they are allowing these cases now to move forward under the Child Victims Act. What is the Child Victims Act? Can you tell us about that? Because I know I've heard that term, but, like, I don't actually know what it is. So I got this from the thechildvictimsact.com, and this was signed into law in February of this year. The Child Victims Act is an act to amend the civil practice law and rules, the criminal procedure law, the Court of Claims Act, and the general municipal law in relation to the timeliness for commencing certain civil actions related to sex offenses. So in the past, historically speaking, there is what's called the statute of limitations on when a lawsuit can be filed in any sort of a criminal or or a civil case. Certain things like murder have no statute of limitations because once somebody's murdered, that's, you know, you can't limit the time mm-hmm. limit. You can bring somebody forward for something like that. But certain other things like molestation, rape, sexual abuse, sexual assault, things of that nature have a statute of limitations on it that is typically seven to 10 years, sometimes up to 20 years. And in many instances, a lot of these young people, when they are abused, either block out the memories of it or don't want to deal with it because it's humiliating, embarrassing, and they want to forget about it. So mm-hmm. they don't typically bring these cases forward until they're in adulthood and then suffering from problems related to sort of pushing this abuse down and for trying to forget about it. Because that's sort of a thing from the 80s 
is when you're abused, we, we weren't supposed to talk about it. We weren't yeah. supposed to get counseling. We weren't supposed to do anything but forget about it. Be a man, especially young boys. Yeah. Be a man. Just move on. Get on with your life. And don't talk about this. Don't dwell on it. That was sort of the, the feeling back then. But this bill essentially eliminates the statute of limitations for prosecuting child sexual abuse crimes and filing civil lawsuits for damages against individuals, public institutions, and private institutions related to child sex abuse. This act also creates a one-year revival period for previously time-barred civil actions which alleged conduct representing the commission of certain sexual offenses committed against a child less than 18 years of age. So not only does this sort of get rid of the statute of limitations for these sexual crimes by priests and other individuals when a child is very young, but it also kind of allows these individuals who've been previously barred from filing a lawsuit in the past to have a second shot at pursuing action against somebody who sexually or physically abused them as a child. So was Jeffrey Epstein, was that part of his charges as well? I do not believe so. I, I think there were some current okay. victims of abuse by him who were not expired within the, the statute of limitations. I'm pretty sure that once those suits started to move forward with, with respect to Jeffrey Epstein, that they would probably allow many of the other ones from his past to move forward. However, Keep in mind, he was convicted and served time in prison, so they would not be able to go back to the cases that were named in the previous lawsuit and move forward mm-hmm. with those unless it's a civil case against his estate, which would be possible. Because that would be double jeopardy. Correct. Okay. But it, it's very interesting. Um, this particular case, the priest that was accused of molesting this young boy is now 87. He actually starred, and we'll post some pictures on Instagram, he actually starred in the movie The Exorcist, which was a huge movie back in that day. And he did a good job of being a creepy priest in that. Yeah. So it says, McQuaid told The Independent in a statement that expects to receive claims as the Child Victims Act goes into effect. It is our sincere hope that this will be the time, a time of healing for our brothers, the school said in a statement, although it declined to comment on specific claims. One of the lawyers listed in the lawsuit confirmed the priest named in the complaint was the same as the one whose name appears in the credits of the horror film. Hmm. So he appeared in the news in wow. 2012, the same priest, after reportedly being dismissed from his teaching role at another uh, Jesuit prep school for his abrasive teaching style. Isn't that just called Catholic school teaching? I I guess. But hundreds of sexual abuse lawsuits have been filed in New York courts after the one-year window set by the Child Victims Act opened on Wednesday. So I can imagine there is going to be a flood of lawsuits now underway against the Catholic Church, against other particular institutions that employed, supported were involved in any way, shape, or form in the abuse of young girls and boys by adults in authority. Yeah, good. I hope so. It's it's bullshit that you have this trauma that you have to live with, and by the time that you are finally able to address it, and now you want to, you know, see the your your attacker penalized for doing something to you now you can't because you didn't come forward in time i think that's bullshit well i think that there is a huge push underway to eliminate the statute of limitations for certain crimes like this now Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think certain states have already enacted different portions of the law in order to sort of work around the statute of limitations. For instance, some states allow for prosecution of a crime after abuse occurs to a child if they somehow blocked that memory from them and just Mm -hmm. discovered it as an adult then the statute of limitations... So it's like when you become aware of the crime or something like that? the statute of limitations normally would apply from the time the abuse occurred until the time the suit is followed. So if the abuse occurred in 85 and the statute of limitations is 10 years, 95 would be the the drop point where they have to file a lawsuit. But according to this new system that many states are following, it is from the time of discovery of the abuse, if they block the memory out or so on and so forth, and the counselor brings it forward, they had repressed memories or something of that nature, um, and they didn't discover that they were abused until they had some sort of a hypnosis, and they discovered in, in, ni- in 2004 that they were abused. Even though it happened in 84, they can bring the lawsuit forward because the statute of limitations starts in 2004 from the time of discovery of that abuse, not from the time the actual abuse happened. Does that make sense? Right. So It does, yeah. That's sort of on the cusp of really becoming a thing that's happening in a lot of states. And a lot of states are eliminating the statute of limitations with respect to sexual crimes of a deviant nature against young children. Um, and that I feel like that they're on the right track with that. And then as well, abuse of women and, and so forth as well, because essentially, you know, the abuse, the result of that abuse, the consequences that ab- of that abuse do not end after 10 years or seven years or whatever the statute right. of limitation says it lasts a lifetime for many of these victims so this is the point in the podcast where we start to wrap it up we say so long farewell please rate review and subscribe to our lovely little true crime podcast darcy what's our social media we are at the bfd podcast on both twitter and instagram and our email address is the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We will put all of that in the show notes as well as the sources that we have worked with for the content today. And until then, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff, as well as all the latest legal news. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye, guys.